Today is Thursday, April 30th, 2020, and you're tuned in to the Too Fast Podcast, where the future farmers and agricultural specialists are serving you the weekly scoop on the world. And I'm your host, Candle the Farm Plug. This podcast is brought to you by Tuskegee University's College of Agriculture, Environment, and Nutrition Sciences, Tuskegee University Cooperative Extension Program, and Anchor FM. We're currently available on many platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Breaker Audio, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, and Radio Public. In today's news... There's a chance that hundreds of millions of doses of the potential COVID-19 vaccine could be available by early next year. Dr. Anthony Fauci, a key member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, said Thursday, even though the federal government has not approved a vaccine against the virus. Pioneering Nigerian drummer Tony Allen, a co-founder of the Afrobeat musical genre, died in Paris on Thursday at age 79, his manager says. We don't know the exact cause of death, Eric Trosset told AFP, adding it was not linked to the coronavirus. Allen was the drummer and musical director of musician Felakuti's famous band Africa 70 in the 60s and the 70s. Greenhouse gas emissions are predicted to fall nearly 8%, the largest decrease ever. The COVID-19 pandemic is delivering the biggest shock to the global energy system in seven decades, according to a new report by the International Energy Agency. Global energy demand is expected to fall by 6% this year, seven times the decline brought by the financial crisis 10 years ago. The IEA projections show oil and gas being hit hard, but demand for coal could fall by an extraordinary 8%, the largest decline since World War II. And now an interview with Dr. Kara Woods. Dr. Woods is a native of Montgomery, Alabama, and an alum of the University of Alabama at Birmingham where she graduated with honors in the Criminal Justice Department and the University Honors Program. Kara has held internships with the offices of Congresswoman Terry Sewell and Senator Doug Jones. Her research concentrates on air property and its relationship with social institutions and political participation. While at Tuskegee University, she has presented at several conferences, including RSS, PAWC, ARD, in jars, among others, where she was awarded travel scholarships as well as placed in student competitions. Her objective as a professional is to use her skills to foster community development, establish interpersonal relations, and advocate for social policy change. She is the daughter of Janet and Daryl Woods and sister of Kayla Woods. My name is Kara Woods. Um from Montgomery, but my family is from Tennessee and Kentucky. Um, 
my education background, I would really need to start off with my mom because she she taught me what education was and what it meant and what it could do. Um, so from a young age, it was, you know, the importance of it, but also knowing that this can take you far, um, you know, reading about things that not normal second graders are reading about or learning about things that you knew meant more than just what you were learning in the school. Um, so that's, that's the very beginning. But then we're going to um, Lamp High School in Montgomery uh, is ranked number one in the state right now of Alabama. So, you know, they they brought me up right as far as a lot of work that helped me doing a lot of work later on. So going from Lamp High School to UAB, where I got a BS in criminal justice and a minor in legal affairs. Um, of course, had a, a lot of help at UAB and still do have those connections there. And then um, at Tuskegee, so I came in without a master's, uh, took two years off after undergrad and then came in without a master's and started with the IPPD program at Tuskegee. Um, oh, wow. So you went straight through. Right. Yeah. So right after after I graduated in 2014 from UAB, I took two years off and had all plans of becoming a lawyer. And, you know, it didn't work out that way. So now I feel like my passion has not changed because the whole point of me being a lawyer was to help other peoples and making sure that the law was going to work for them. And I feel like the segue to having this PhD is still doing the same thing. I can still make sure that these laws that we're creating, either I'm, you know, at the table, around the table, but we're, they're still working for everyone and not just um, the the few. So how do you, how do you think that your criminal justice background can help you in, I guess, the agriculture land tenure field? What, do you see a connection there at all? Uh, so, like historically, yes. Um, when you're thinking about criminal justice and land and how so many people were enslaved by prison to work on land, yes. Um, as far as the future and what you know, I can take my degree to do, I'm not sure yet. I really haven't thought about that connection um, yet, but it's something that can be definitely explored. You know, the IPPD program, the Integrative Development and Public Policy Program, actually you are like the first graduating class. So what made you want to actually come to the program? Yeah, like I said, I had all intentions of becoming um, a lawyer and then a judge and, and going in that safe way. And then I was offered this opportunity from um, a friend who was actually interested in the program. And, um, you know, it's from the illustrious Tuskegee University. I was able to stay close to home. Um, and during that time, that's something that I need to do. And it was still going to let me live out my passion of helping others or, you know, giving back. And so I feel like it was a, a, a way that I could still do what I want to do, not come out of it in debt. 
and get that HBCU experience that I always wanted, but, you know, didn't get to do in undergrad. Can you give us a, um, a, a synopsis of your research? Yeah, so when I came in to, to um, Tuskegee, unfortunately at UAB, I was um, being able to, I was able to be a part of some programs. We had like the University Honors Program and the Criminal Justice Honors Program. And because of that, I was doing a lot of, I guess, pre-work that you would say that would be more of a grad level. And so it was, it was um, showcasing, I guess, something else that I could do and I didn't know it. So when I came out of UAB, I was doing some work with the professor there and it was looking at gun control. And um, that sparked Dr. Z's interest. And so he came, you know, he when he was like, yeah, I think this could be something that you could go, you know, out and do. And I think that's something that you get researched. But the one of my major passions is voting rights, voter suppression and voter protection. And that is how we got to the point of air property and political participation. And of course, the air property part comes from Dr. Zavala, Dr. Z. And so we're saying, okay, air property is something that's been happening for a long time now. And air property is just, you have pieces of property that are wheeled down to heirs, but they're, they don't have an actual legal probated will. So if my grandmother passes away, she does not have a will, but she has a piece of land, that land is still in the family, but it's no longer uh, a clear title. There's there, the land gets separated by the number of heirs into uh, interest or shares of the property. And it becomes a, cl- a clouded title and it it halts a lot of development that you can use for the land. It, and it kind of stagnates the the production of the land because you can't get loans from it. You can't get um, a lot of USDA grants from it. And then the whole purpose of, of what Dr. Z and I are doing, especially in my dissertation, is we're looking at air property and we're looking at it in the community outlook. So, yes, you have, you know, these families that have this land that is essentially dead capital. You know, you can't use it for anything um, except to live on, but you're not able to improve upon it. And you're not able to make sure that the next generation is reaping out the benefit of being a landowner, something that not everyone can say that, you know, they were or are. And especially from these original plots that came out of the formerly enslaved to have a piece of land to say that it is mine. You can't kick me off of it. Well, it was safer to not have a will, you know, it was safer not to trust those who had formerly enslaved you to create a will for you. But now it's creating um, a depression in the community because you're not able to have that overlapping generational wealth that is associated with land ownership. Um, so we have air property. So I'm sorry, I had to explain that. So we all so have air property and that's Dr. Z. So he's been working on that with um, Dr. Baharani, many others at Tuskegee Extension for a long time. And uh, we have the idea of social institutions like the historical black church and schools in Macon County. So we have churches that were used as enclaves for blacks 
and, you know, provided safety, provided community and provided culture in a way that it was across, you know, you had a, a church, but it wasn't only used for a church. It was used for a school. It was used for activities. It was even used for pickup sites for, um, you know, men that were in the syphilis study. And so you have this multi-purpose building and the, the, the thinking that I have behind it in my dissertation is, did people live by these buildings, by these social institutions? And so what we looked at is 30 churches and schools in Macon County. And uh, many times they were associated in the same school. So you would have like Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church and you would also have Shiloh School. And we're looking at uh, air property around these social institutions. So people who moved and gathered in these enclaves, bought land, and then for whatever reason, did not will it down in a probated wheel. So now you have air property. So that's the, the first half of my dissertation is a two part because we're looking at air property as a multifaceted uh, issue because it is. Um, and so the second part lends more into my passion of p political participation and voting rights. And so the second part of the dissertation looks as to whether uh, being an air property owner impacts how you vote or how, how many times you vote or when you vote. And the main question about that is that because you're air property owner, do you feel the same sense and tie to the community as a clear title owner? Air property owners um, may not live on their property because it's, like I said, multiple owners on one piece of land. They might not understand the need of the community. They might not understand the need of the taxes that are brought in by property taxes for the community. And you might not understand the need of voting because you're not living on the property or because you don't have the tie to the property. Um, so when you're thinking about local officials that are going to raise taxes or are going to make changes as an air property owner, do you still have the same ties? And so that's the second uh, question of my dissertation and how it all pertains to air property, but also community and the growth of the community. I mean, that's that's amazing. So what was your hypothesis? What did you think you were going to find? And then what did you actually what did you actually find? Yeah. So um, for the first part, as far as air property and social institutions, it it. The hypothesis that was that it was going to be a larger amount of air property near the social institution, and it was. It was about 53% of all air property was found uh, within two miles of these social institutions. So with every, you know, the 30 uh, historically black churches and schools, we did a two-mile buffer and then all these properties that were in this two-mile buffer, and we, we chose a two-mile buffer because we're thinking of churches, you know, for people who didn't have cars, and we're taking about 60 years ago, and we're thinking about using this multi-purpose building as far as more than just church. Uh, you know, you're going back every day of the week or every other day of the week, 
And we're also thinking about two miles because Charles Johnson came and did a case study of Tuskegee and it's um, a book, The Shadows of the Plantation, where he talks about how people would walk between one and five miles to get to their church or their school. And so, you know, we picked two miles and we're finding that 53% of um, air property in Macon County is within these these black churches and schools. It's, you know, and so uh, and that's, a, that's a big piece. That's a big piece of where air property is. And then in the second part of the finding uh, for political participation, and we had to do a logistic regression for this, but we're seeing that it's 12 and 13 percent that you're you're more likely to be a clear title owner if you hire, have a higher voting rate. So we calculated voting rates by each individual landowner in Macon County um, with the help of some data that we got from the uh, America, I mean, excuse me, Alabama's uh, Secretary of State's office, and we calculated voter percentage. And then we aligned this with whether they were an air property or a clear title property owner. And this 12 and 13 percent, depending on what kind of variables you put in, because we put in uh, holistic variables to say, okay, is this the reason why, or is the reason why because they have a lower education attainment, or because they have a lower annual income and it still became significant that the property title was the reason why people had a lower voting rate than others. What does this research mean? What does your research mean for us today? And what did your research bring to the table that hadn't been brought to the table before? I think that to answer the second part and then to go back, I think that what it brought was a whole new light to what air property truly means. A lot of the air property research that I have found have been more of either a cultural statement as to why air property was popular, or it was an economic statement as to saying this is why, or this is how much money is being lost. But what I was able to bring to the table was this is the political side that air property is being attributed to. And also this is a a cultural part of why people bought land where they did. Not because of, you know, it was just easy land to get, but they were getting it because they wanted to be together. It was safety in numbers. It was safety being with your own and and worshiping with your own. Like the racism of it runs true because you know, some of these churches were built because races didn't want to worship together. Some of these churches were, were being built because it was the only piece of property they could get. But because they manetized the settlement of other black people, you had, like I said, you had enclaves that were that provided strength. And this provided strength in times of terror, but it also provided strength in times of of you know congratulations and in times like that so it brings in a part of it as to why air property has been important is you know and why it's not a, a judgment of air property now we're going into in the, in the last part of the dissertation is you know we're, now we're seeing that 
although it might have been advantageous in prior years, what it's now doing to the community is important. And I think that's another new part as well. What it's doing to the community is important because, like I said, air property is being taxed at a lower level than clear title property. So you're losing money as far as yearly taxes. And these are in counties and states that desperately need that money. That Those taxes are going to go to the local schools, to the um, fire stations, to the roads. And if you go into Macon County and you see that, you see that this could be something that could be built upon. And then you're looking at it not only from an individual basis, but a community basis. And then you can see the growth that land still has so we're going from the from the land you know 60 years ago 100 years ago and what it provided to you know black people then but still thinking about okay land yes you know you can say agriculturally you can say all these things about being together but you're still looking at the importance of land and what it can mean for generations and generations far as let me get this clear title and then my land is worth more. And then when I will it down to my generation, they have a stepping stool. They're not getting, you know, if, if they want this land, they already have $30,000 attached to their name because of their land owner. Whereas if you're an air property owner, you don't, you don't have that because your, your land, you know, it, it, although it's worth something, it's owned by how many heirs you have. So you're not going to get that same piece of gravitas as far as monetary value. And the same thing with political rights. We're looking at Macon County and kind of boycott the Tuskegee Civic Association, um, you know, the NAACP and all these ties to Tuskegee, you know, Amelia born to Robinson. We're looking at, we're looking at all these people that help with political steps in America as far as the million versus like, you know, like, but we're thinking about all this. And then we're going back to the land saying the land is, is giving you the stepping stool. And with air property, we're seeing that air property owners are not voting to the same rate. And then we're seeing that these air property owners are, are black. If we can go back and say, okay, look at these past and look at what we could do now. Let's get these voting right rates back up. Let's see how much change we can we can make now. Is is a very um, important value. I think that still needs to be reiterated to a lot, especially in this generation. I think it's something that can be can, needs to be retaught almost. What are some unexpected turns in your journey that you had to kind of face and overcome? that got you to where you are right now? Uh, well, at Tuskegee, I think it was just because I was a part of the first cohort. So, you know, it, it started with five and we lost one. She, you know, she decided to leave the program. And so you can say, okay, well, it's, you, can, you can see that not everyone, um, that it's a hard journey. It's a hard journey. And you have to know mentally that it's, it's not going to be a everyone finishes type of thing. And it kind of, it, it, 
you have to use that as almost a momentum. And I'm not that type of person. Like, I, I'm not that type of person that's like, oh, I have to prove everyone wrong or, you know, this person said I can't do it, so I have to do it. I'm not that type of person. So it, it goes with just knowing that I was the guinea pig and being okay with it because I was part of the first cohort that a lot of things that um, came up came up because I was the first. And a lot of things that won't come up again won't come up because I'm I was the first. And I was okay with that. Like once I got that into my mind, I, I told Dr. Z plenty of times, like if no one else has to do this because I did this, then that's okay with me. And you know, and it was it was a learning process to be okay with things. And I think that was one of my major um, fights with Tuskegee, not you know, not with the institution, but just with the the PhD process was knowing that because I was a guinea pig, a lot of these things that I was going through or had had trouble with, um, it was just going to be solely for me. And I and I, I like I said, I got strength out of that because that means that someone else didn't have to go through it, or at least I hope not. <laughs> you have you question a lot. And it wasn't, and it was, it was something that it was kind of like, you know, you need to stop questioning. <laughs> like, just don't question, just do it. Just, just roll with the punches. And then also knowing that I had people who were coming in with me, who were going through those same things and we would be talking and like everything was okay. Like, you know, it, it made you stronger and it made the bond that you made with other people stronger as well. So for anyone that's considering graduate school or graduate program, what advice would you give them? And for anyone who's in a graduate program and may be thinking about leaving, what advice (laughs) would you give them? What would you tell them? Um, You know, first off, don't quit. Like, you know, don't don't quit unless you actually have a a full out plan to come back because you want to be able to say that you did that. And once again, I'm not one for like accolades and all this stuff. Like, I, um, but it's it's nice to say that you have some letters, right? Um, especially if you're able to walk. Like, you know, right now we're not able to walk, so that was really gonna be my day that I was gonna be like, oh yes, I'm walking. I have these letters. Um, also, I, I would say get you a, a committee that you know are gonna be on the same page. The committee. Um, and I'm so thankful for mine because they were available. They were understanding. They pushed me. They understood me. Um, and I think that really made it made it seem like I could do this because I had people who also believed that I could do this. And they they put me ahead of them. And that is very important in a committee. Um, and then also having your committee outside of academics, right? So you have your your support team, whether it's your parents or your partner or your sister or, you know, whoever you needed to be. And I think that's what got me through a lot was my committee as far as academics and Dr. Zabala and always make knowing that he wanted the best for me and he was doing all he could for me. And then also knowing that I had my family who have always done that for me but also having friends and event partner and you know things like that my sister Kayla she became my 
my event partner. If I needed to talk for a minute, Kayla knew that this is going to be a five minute spiel. You know, thank you for coming to my TED talk. And after that, I was going to be okay. So um, I think that that's, you know, also just as important. And then, and then the third and last thing, I guess, would to know that it's, it's serious and it, you know, it should be taken serious and you should know that whatever you're working on can be something that can be elevated to something beautiful and helpful to others, but to make sure that you have those in the windows where you, you can relax and or take a vacation for a little bit or um, listen to music for a little, you know, just having those then spaces that don't maybe require a lot of space or a lot of money, but you know that that's, that's your go-to to calm down. And I was able to do that. And I think the combination of all three of those really made it. So the, the time didn't seem like it was, you know, a quicksand and I was just w- waiting for nothing. It, it yeah. made it feel like, yeah, this, this was four years for me, but it was four years where I can look back and say, hey, I, I did a lot in these four years. And it wasn't just academics you know it was also having a life outside of academics and and these four years weren't just in a book somewhere And that was part one of the interview with Dr. Kara Woods. Stay tuned for part two.